Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode, and of course, beware of spoilers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Teresa. And I'm Juliet. And Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Joyous Weihnachten. A very Merry Garbage Day to you. Merry Garbage Day (laughs) to you as well, Juliet. Today, we are celebrating the annual December holiday season in true Attack of the Final Girls fashion. We are watching Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Actually, it's Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. Did you know that? I I did not. I'm just used to calling it Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Yeah. Apparently, it's Part part 2. So if you listen to the last episode, you don't actually need to watch the first one in order to watch or enjoy this one. Yeah. Yeah. Everything you need to know about the first one is literally in clips in this one. So you'll be just fine. It is two movies. For the price of one. Yes, it's perfect. It's, uh, uh, what, how much did you say? It was like 30 minutes? It's like over 30 minutes of footage from the original film is in this one. And this movie is 88 minutes long. So it's like nearly half of this movie is footage from the first movie. <laughs> well, it probably saves some money. Yeah. So at least there's that. <laughs> and I will say, having recently watched the third and fourth movie... Not the same situation for those. No. So if you're wanting to watch some fresh, new, original content in the Silent Night, Deadly Night universe, check out the three and four. You do need to see at least two before you watch three. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's something. There's something else. Yeah. Well, and apparently you can just watch Christmas Bloody Christmas too, because that was (laughs) (laughs) apparently going to be the original treatment for that script was supposed to be a Silent Night, Deadly Night film. And somebody said, you know, I think Robots is going too far. And so they ended up making it its own separate film. Do you think it was going to be Silent Night, Deadly Night, Christmas, Bloody Christmas? Was that the like the whole... I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just Bloody Christmas. But yeah, I do wonder what the original title would have been on that one. Yeah. If it would have followed in the footsteps or if it would have been Christmas, Bloody Christmas, a Silent Night, Deadly Night film. Oh, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. We're just full of the Christmas spirit here. Uh, we've, we've, <laughs> even though we just got done complaining last time about how much we, we're not feeling the Christmas spirit, we have watched so many Christmas horror movies. I think this is what, like, our fourth Christmas horror movie in a span of, like, two weeks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. We saw... Violent Night. Yep. Which for our Patreon uh, subscribers, you'll know that we saw that one because we did a hot take on it. Patreon.com slash Attack of the Final Girls. Just saying. Just yeah. Saying. <laughs> and then we did Christmas Bloody Christmas, mm-hmm. which is also a Shutter exclusive. So if you didn't catch it at the theater, no problem. Yeah. You can definitely watch it on Shutter. And then we saw the mean one. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Which, that was a movie we saw. That was that was a movie. <laughs> that was a movie we saw. Yes, that's about as much as I want to say about that one. Yeah. My partner asked, "Are you going to do a hot take about that one?" And I was like, <laughs> "I don't know if it's worth it." Honestly, yeah. the hot take could be like, "There's a Grinch. You can't say a Grinch. That's it." Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. about as much as I want to say about that one. And then we watched uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two today. 
So do you feel more joyous and festive? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Oh, man. I, I did a little bit after Violet Night. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It feels like the traditional, you know, like, we got to save the magic yeah. of Christmas. and. Oddly, I felt a little more after Christmas Bloody Christmas only because bitter record store employee at the holidays is an identity I have worn in my life. <laughs> so I, that I felt a lot of affinity toward that. You know, I totally I could see that. I saw a lot of my friends and in, in the main characters of that movie, and I would recommend it, even though it's a bit ridiculous. It's worth watching yeah. at least one time. Yeah, definitely. Effects are great. Effects are great in that one. But yeah. in Silent Night, Deadly Night part two, you could actually say the same thing. The effects are amazing. Yeah, it's all practical. It was made in 1987. So, you know, we were doing real practical horror film effects. The kind of downside to that is you can definitely tell when they ran out of money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden you've got like these amazing like on-screen effects, explosions, kills, etc. And then there's a certain point in the movie where everything is happening off-screen yep. and we're only seeing the sort of after effects. So there were some budget issues for sure, but what we did see on screen was very, very well done uh, given the level of this film and given that they didn't have a lot of time to shoot it at all. Right. Yeah, only 10 days. The entire, uh, their portion of the movie, the new filming, only took 10 days, so... They definitely were running through it. But what's funny, I thought about this movie, is that this was actually originally going to be a recut of the original. They were just going to remake the original and recut it. And then the director's like, no, no, no. No, we have enough here. We should just film vignettes to go in between, <laughs> splice in between the footage from the first movie. And that's exactly what they did, is they basically just filmed little vignettes in between to string together important aspects of the first movie and then some little additional stuff Yeah. later in the movie after, you know, we catch up to current time in the movie and then Ricky goes on his rampage. But a serious note about the beginning of this movie, is it possibly the longest shot of a <laughs> of a tape recorder being plugged in that you have seen in your entire life? It's quite possible. I mean... Setting up a reel-to-reel -reel player does take more time than, you know, plunking a digital recorder down on a table. However, it does not take that much time. Right? And the guard is simply placing it on the table and plugging it in. Yeah, it's already, like, set to go. Yeah. And the doctor comes in, and he is, the psychiatrist comes in, he's the one that puts the reels on. Yeah. So it's not even like the guard is, like, doing a big bunch of stuff. No. It's just, like, a lot of side-eye glances with Ricky. Yeah. Like, looking at him, Ricky's looking back, guard's looking at him, guard's looking at the recorder, guard's looking back at Ricky, Ricky's looking tense. at him. Yeah. Yeah, it's very <laughs> tense. A lot of music. It takes so long, probably, because the credits need to roll over it, but yeah. it took forever. Truly. I have to say, I think it's the longest shot of a tape recorder ever. That's possible. <laughs> but really, this movie does not add a whole lot of uh, new story to the original movie not really no no it's really just catching us up on what ricky has been doing while billy has been you know as he grew into a killer and he grew into the murderer what ricky had done and then how he turns out up until this point yeah because ricky did bad all by himself yeah 
So it's, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really add a whole lot to the story. And it really, really, really does use so much gratuitous footage from the first one. In ways that are kind of hilarious because, I mean, Ricky is the younger brother. Mm -hmm. And so when they're rehashing the beginning, when their parents are killed by the errant Santa, Ricky is a baby. And so he's like telling this as if he were, I mean, he was there, but as if he were able to comprehend what was actually happening. And they try to like shoo in these little lines here like, well, Billy told me or, you know, Billy said this. There are scenes where, like, he wouldn't have known what Billy did, Um, especially the end scene of the first film where he's, like, recounting how Billy, like, all the stuff that Billy did, like, up until his death. Like, who, how would you know all of that? Because Billy's dead. At various parts in the movie, too, their age ranges are not, like, as, as far apart. They're closer together. Like, I think at the beginning, Ricky says that Billy is seven and Ricky was just a baby. He was like an infant. And when the Santa gets killed in the first movie, Ricky and Billy are there, but they're like maybe two or three years apart. It looks like. Yeah. Because if Billy would have to be like 12 to 14 in order to justify how old Ricky is at that point. Yeah. So it's just, like, all over the map. Yeah, and that's also confusing because they say the Santa is a janitor in mm-hmm. this one, and I'm pretty sure the Santa was a priest in the first movie. Which would have made more sense. Yeah, because it's, being, like, an orphanage. Right, being the, a, it's yeah. a Catholic orphanage. Yeah. Yeah, it would have made a lot more sense. But can you really blame Billy and or Ricky for being crazy? Because, honestly, I think that the entire movie is about unresolved childhood trauma that... Catholic nuns try to beat out of him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, truly, it's, you know, for all of its hilarious flaws, I mean, the general premise of the first two movies is like, these kids have really experienced something terrible that they're living with. And it's not even like the nuns are like, oh, pray it away. Mm -hmm. They're just like, no, you're naughty. You need to be punished. Like any kind of acting out. Oh, that's that's naughty. And it needs to be punished and you need to be good. Not even like ask God to fix it for you. Just just be good. And like, that's really not a productive way to deal with anything. No. Like, where are the psychiatrists? Truly. Yeah. Like, these kids need therapy. And uh, obviously not excusing away the actions of Ricky or Billy um, because they were pretty terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like, it seems like these kids really had like huge psychotic mental breakdowns. And nobody picked up on it and nobody cared. Yeah, well, like, there's that scene when Ricky is talking about getting adopted and his adoptive parents take him back into the orphanage and they're like, hey, this kid has been through some stuff. Like, he's having, you know, some kind of response, like a trauma response. What do we do? Like, how do we help him? And the poor nun is just like, well, Mother Superior says that once he gets settled into his new home, like, never is it suggested, like, hey, here's a therapist. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah. Here are this kid's mental health records. Here's what we've done for him. No, it's like, oh, he'll he'll be fine once he settles in. And these parents who are, like, very well-intentioned, you know, there's, like, okay, like, we're not going to give up on this kid. We actually really love him. 
Yeah. Okay. And you're the expert, yeah. I guess. They seem like they really do want to help him, but it is no wonder that Ricky essentially just is like wild and out. And the first time he talks to a therapist or a psychiatrist is after crimes have already been committed and he's yeah. already in jail. Yeah. So that makes sense. Uh, truly, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, well, I guess I can see. They do a really good job, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but they do a really good job of making you question as to whether or not you really think that they're a bad guy. Yeah, totally. Like Ricky, first uh, Billy and then Ricky. It's like, can I really blame this guy? Like, right. he's truly in like a fugue state, and he really thinks that he's evil Santa. He's, yeah. like, embodying the thing that ruined his life. Yeah. And at such a young age, both of them being so young, formative, like, you guys have seen some really traumatic stuff. Like, you saw your mom sexually assaulted and then murdered. Your dad was murdered. And, of course, you have, like, these weird trauma responses with red things and Santa and all that. So, of course, you would have those responses. And if these Catholic nuns are just like, shut up. Be good. Yeah. Everything's going to be fine. Just shut up. Yeah, you're probably going to act out. You're probably going to have some weird stuff yeah. happen. Yeah. And also, they repressed them sexually, like, hardcore. Oh, yeah. Which was kind of hilarious that they used that whole entire scene in yeah. this movie, too. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, honestly, they pretty much, like, wholesale cut whole scenes. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's not just, like, look at this thought that we're having from the last one. It's, like, this is what happened. Yeah. Here's the clip. <laughs> Here's the entire thing with a little bit of voiceover. Yep, exactly. They do reshow that famous scene with Linnea Quigley in the first movie where she gets put up on the antlers, which is like one of my favorite uh, scenes in any movie, let alone a Christmas horror movie. I love that scene. It's a great scene. Yeah. I, I love that effect. I think that it looks really good. It's effective. You know, love Linnea Quigley in pretty much anything. Oh, yeah. She's literally only in this movie to show her boobs. I mean, the first one, and then subsequently yes. <laughs> in this one. <laughs> but she's only in it to show her boobs. She has very little speaking line. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah. Unfortunate that during Ricky's uh, kind of, when he's going on his whole uh, rampage that makes him wind up in jail, it is unfortunate that he doesn't have a Santa suit until after. Yeah, he's got that style and sweater. I know, it looks so cozy. Was it giving you, like, American Psycho vibes? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I actually was thinking that. I was like, you think he, like, uses a face wash and, like, peel and all yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he... He's very Patrick Bateman. He he scene. also has, like, the, like, kind of stoic, like, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. He looks really nice. It's so funny. I just have to mention, there is a scene where we see Ricky at 15 where he's wearing, like, this gray sweater and a white shirt and, like, a tie underneath. And this is, like, his casual dress. Right. That's his, like, I'm going to wa- go walk around in the woods. And we're like, yeah, you're, you're a dork. Yeah. But who wears that to go walk around in the woods? Yeah. Nobody. Um, but he's, like, dressed very nicely. His mom probably laid it out for him, so he's dressed that way. And he sees, like, this scene where this woman gets sexually assaulted And he, of course, is upset and, you know, it triggers like that rage response in him. But then the next scene, mind you, the the actor who plays him at 15 is 30 years old. (laughs) And the actor who plays him 
in movie time, we advance three years to the Ricky that we see through the rest of the movie. Present day, quote unquote, Ricky, who's supposed to be 18, who in real life is 33. Who definitely looks 33. Oh, yeah, for (laughs) sure. Like, he probably had to shave in between takes. Oh, yeah. Like, he had to shave every time they turned the camera off, like... Yeah. Every time they stopped filming, they're like, look, dude, you've already got a five o'clock shot. <laughs> We're going to have to put some more makeup on. You're going to have to reshave. But I thought it was funny that the character development that we get from Ricky age 15 to Ricky age 18 is Ricky sees this terrible scene of violence. He kills somebody. Now he's a beefcake. Yeah. It's like, what? And you mentioned that it seemed like there was a missing scene there. It really did. You know, if the whole point of this movie is to sort of chart somebody's trauma and their response to it that leads to them doing this, like, terrible, terrible thing, I felt like we were missing something there. Yeah. Because you've got this, like, you know, well-cut kid. And just before then, we're finding out, like, his adoptive father has died and he genuinely loved this person and was genuinely worried for his mother and all of this but also really kept to himself because he didn't know how to deal with that grief. Okay. And then we've advanced three years. And I guess I just feel like it's a throwaway because it's like, oh, this well-cut kid. And now he's like this weird beefcake, like still like way too put together biker kind of dude. Like a greaser? Like kind of. Yeah. Like it's like, (laughs) like rich a well-to-do, like, preppy kid to, yeah. like, West Side Story, like, yeah, pipeline. He, yeah, what? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. And the motorcycle is, like, an strange affect. It, it was a little strange, yeah. Like, what happened in between those two times, like, it would make more sense if he was, like, after his dad died, after his adoptive dad died, if he had started going that way. But it wasn't yeah. really like that. no. It was after. No, it was after. And I guess maybe you were supposed to assume like, well, he's killed someone and he's dipped his toes into the dark side. <laughs> but I don't know. That just feels too obvious to me. Like, I, I, like you know, again, like, show me. Don't just right. tell me. Yeah. Also, like, most of the time when people, you know, do something like strikingly out of character and start to, like, transform... They don't, like, turn into the fawns. <laughs> He's, he kind of turned into the fawns. He kind of did, yeah. Transient, you know, like, houseless, uh, maybe experimenting with drugs or alcohol, yeah. something like that. Now it's like, I got a motorcycle and now a leather jacket. That he didn't even really know how to ride because when What's-Her-Face backs into him, he kind of, like, stands there and then, like, crumples. <laughs> like isn't even really like that pressed about it no he well he's he's uh awestruck by jennifer's beauty that's true and we didn't even really go over the actors in this movie i'm not gonna go back it's fine (laughs) i mean honestly you probably haven't seen any of these actors and literally anything else no most of them are not really in anything else yeah once you get to the third and fourth movie, there are big name actors in those movies. Yeah. I mentioned to Juliet when I watched the third one a couple weeks ago 
It's actually like a cast list from an episode of Twin Peaks. It's a little weird. Right, right. David Lynch must have like come on set for Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 and was like, all right, you, 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 let's go. (laughs) I think I might have said that exact line. All right. Anyways. (laughs) Interesting bit of trivia that I read when we started watching this. The very first bit of trivia on IMDb is that Ricky raises his eyebrows 130 times in this movie. I believe that. It's very strange. I'm not sure if the actor was nervous or, like, what happened specifically, but he raises his eyebrows, like, over and over again. Well, there was something weird with the direction, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Eric Freeman played Ricky. Mm -hmm. Director Lee Harry and co-writer Joseph Earl during filming gave him conflicting direction. Freeman wanted Ricky to be a cold and malevolent killer, but Harry wanted Ricky to be like Freddy Krueger, like wisecracking. Uh So, and that he was like, be as over the top as possible, do as much as you can. And so, yeah, he was kind of caught in between being Hannibal Lecter and Freddy Krueger. And it's like, the Venn diagram doesn't work. Yeah. The... Limit does not exist. (laughs) You can't do that. You can't have both, I don't think. No, no. So no wonder Ricky uh, just keeps raising his eyebrows because he doesn't know what else to do. He's like, no, no, more sinister. And then the the director's like, no, over the top. Just keep keep yelling and screaming and raising your eyebrows. (laughs) That seems unhinged. Yeah. And the guy's just like, my forehead hurts. (laughs) He's just like (laughs) raising his eyebrows so much that his forehead is just aching. But yeah, that's completely and utterly like two totally different spectrums on the killer field and i just don't even understand how i would reconcile that yeah yeah i don't know how you could so related to that some people have compared his performance to tommy wiseau in the room (laughs) and i i think they're related i think they are two separate things Mm -hmm. because like this is the result of like really bad direction Mm -hmm. and tommy wiseau is like his own hubris. Yeah. In my mind, at least. Yeah. His own hubris, just utter lack of self awareness. Yeah. And also semi bad direction, considering he was directing himself. So That's true. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit of that as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like uh, Eric Freeman is actually better than Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. At least I think potential wise, mm-hmm. like he had potential to maybe work through some of that stuff because i mean how many movies have you seen where like it's an actor's first time or one of their first roles and it's just garbage yeah and then you see them maybe five years later and you're like wow okay yeah they either it was bad direction they weren't confident their agent wasn't booking them for the right roles and then finally they like somebody strikes a match and they're like oh okay now we're in the space that we need to be I think Tommy Wiseau is just a hopeless case. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure he's ever going to get better. Probably not. I did see him in a horror movie. It was like a horror comedy, though. I don't know if he would like it. Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. Well, number one, it's a horror comedy. Number two, it's got Tommy Wiseau in it. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Just so you know. It it was a short, though. It wasn't wasn't featured. I might be able to tolerate it then. Yeah. Speaking of horror comedies slash indie, this is a sloppy segue, but... Uh, we identified that the delivery, the line delivery in this movie is very reminiscent of a local yes. <laughs> horror director. Yes. I don't know if we, have we talked about? We have not talked about Wolf Hunter on this podcast. Okay. Shame on us. I know. Shame on us. 
Matt Hoffman, if you're out there, we love you. We miss you. Come back. Come make Wolf Hunter 3? 3.5? 3.5 slash 4. Okay. So Juliet was far more involved in the making of this movie than I was because at the time I wasn't around. Well, I was around for the second one. Yeah. I came into it far, far later. Yeah. But we have a, a mutual acquaintance and multiple friends who were involved in the, well, Juliet's partner involved in yeah. the production side of things. and He created the character. Yeah. Original character. Mm-hmm. And my partner who was in, well, he was a character in the first movie and then yeah. various random <laughs> things in the second movie. <laughs> and... It's called The Wolf Hunter, and mm-hmm. then the, there's a second one, Wolf Hunter 2, yep. and there's also Wolf Hunter 2.5. All of these uh, exist in various formats, and they're wonderful, and I truly have a lot of love for Wolf Hunter 2. Oh, yeah. Even being that it's indie and it has its challenges, mm-hmm. um, there is so much heart in the movies. Absolutely. And love and work that went into them. It's just, like, impossible for me not to love them. Oh, yeah. Matt Hoffman, the the writer, I think, right? Writer, director? Writer and director. Writer and, and director. And lead character. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and playing the titular role. Yes. He has a very interesting way of delivering lines mm-hmm. that is, like, not common. And this uh, Eric Freeman actually did, did that a little bit. He did. He did. Yeah. And it's like... Uh, <laughs> I forget what he said in in this movie, what his quote was, where he, like, missed the middle of it. But Matt Hoffman kind of, uh, he'll, like, drop off in the middle of a sentence and then deliver the rest of it with gusto. Yeah. It's almost like a Kirk line, like a Shatner delivery. It is very Shatner-esque, yeah. But as where Shatner kind of pauses in between mm-hmm. several words, Matt will be like, pause in between several words and then we'll do the rest of it all together yeah and you're like okay the pacing is strange but mm-hmm. we like it it's a delivery it's an affect anytime i see something where i'm like wolf hunter yes yeah makes me happy yeah for you vhs people you can occasionally find it it's out there it's a little hard to find it's out of print right now the dogged among you will be able to locate it yes absolutely Yep. It does float around bins at conventions. So if you're if you're a um, in the record world, we would call you a crate digger. But if you are like a a VHS bin digger at conventions, you can sometimes find it there. It's fantastic. Highly recommend. You will not be disappointed. Yeah, you'll laugh. You'll cry. You All might do both. Things. You might yeah. do both at the same time. You'll show it to all your friends. Yeah, You'll have... you will. Definitely. It's a cult film. Mm-hmm. In our household, I hardly ever know where our DVD is of the movie because I'm always lending it out to somebody. Yeah. It is one that you will like. You'll watch and then you'll like, as you bring people into your movie watching circle, you will make a special appointment to view it with them. Absolutely. Yeah. Truly, as silly as the movie is, like... It truly is a, was a labor of love. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's awesome. It's yeah. fun to watch. Anyways, I digressed really, really hard there. Why is Ricky better at psychoanalysis than the criminal psychiatrist is? Psychologist. Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> I mean, you know, there is that, like, 
old adage where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, um, people who are neurodivergent are often the best at diagnosing neurodivergence and things like that. So maybe it's the case of that. I think also, you know, we are meant to understand Ricky, like, Billy is really like, chaotic Mm -hmm. and just traumatized all the time in the first one ricky is definitely more devious Mm -hmm. like he's traumatized too but you know again i make like the patrick bateman comparison ricky is a little slicker he's a little smarter i think he knows how to play the game a little more Mm -hmm. and i think we definitely see that in the scenes with the psychologist you're like oh yeah yeah he knows what's up yeah you're right i mean billy was kind of hopeless he's a bit more like straightforward it seems like he didn't have an option he didn't have a plan he just kind of fell into being what he was as where ricky while also traumatized less so like he had a little bit more time to figure things out and also make those decisions he also had the opportunity to be like a normal child air quotes normal child you know he got adopted into a family presumably he had you know, he was educated, right. you know, um, he had the opportunity to, he's only 18, so I wouldn't say go to college, but, you know, it seems like his family was decently well off, you know, so he, he probably had access to a lot more things than Billy did in terms of resources. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think he's a little bit slicker and smarter, and it seems like he although triggered by certain things and certain sayings or whatever, he really had that, like, rage and desire to do that. Yeah. As where Billy was, like, kind of helpless to those. He didn't really want to. It was like a switch flipped in his head as where Ricky, like, chose to do that. Yeah, I would say so. And he just basically, (laughs) he basically psychoanalyzes himself over the course of the movie with a psychiatrist which makes the psychiatrist extremely nervous to the point of sweating really yeah. hard. Randomly? <laughs> yeah. I don't really know why he was panicking so hard in that moment. Like, presumably the psychiatrist talks to people who have murdered people, like, all the time. One would assume. And then Ricky tells him about his first kill, and he, like, freaks. He's, like, yeah. drenched in sweat all of a sudden. And interestingly, I feel like his first kill is, like... It, it makes the most sense. Right, right. Exactly. You know? Best opportunity, you yeah. know, like, it was a guy who's, you know, bullying another dude. And Ricky, of course, hates bullies. Yeah. Billy also hated bullies. Yeah. But Ricky hates bullies, and so he kills the bully. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, probably not a reasonable reaction, but... Right. A reaction. More reasonable than other things that have happened in these movies. But the psychiatrist just panics. Yeah. He's dripping sweat. And meanwhile, Ricky is just doing his entire job for him. Mm-hmm. He writes in big letters. What does it say? Red. Red suit. I can't remember what he writes. It's red something that he writes down. And Billy's like, astute observation or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay. All right. Ricky's doing the, the lion's share of the work here. Oh, yeah. The psychiatrist yeah. is just there to... Uh, observe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do like that method of like covering the ground that it takes to get to where we are in the story now. Oh yeah. By having that psychiatrist flashback, but they totally reuse almost that exact same trope in the third movie. Oh, okay. So, spoiler alert, I'll just say it. That movie yeah. is like 30 years old. It's fine. 
the third movie is Ricky is brain dead because he's shot at the end of the second movie. But they've done something for some reason where they took his skull off and they have a clear like plastic or glass thing over top of his brain so you can see his brain. Okay. But he's in a coma because brain. Yeah. But they have him at this institute where a girl who's blind can create a telepathic connection to him. So it's like dream warriors? Yes. Okay. And she, like, wakes him up and then, of course, like, chaos ensues. Which we didn't even say this episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's okay. It's garbage day and chaos ensues. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because the name of the movie that Ricky and Jennifer go to see is chaos. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Which is just Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 1. Yeah. Just the robbery part of yeah. that. The beginning part of the Santa who ends up killing Ricky and Billy's parents. Yeah. They were like, look, you've got $10,000. Yeah. Make it work. That's all you have. Yeah. <laughs> Make it work and we have to be able to re-release it. I tried to get really fancy with that at the movie. I'm like, is that really what they're watching? Or is that a manifestation of his psychosis that that's Whoa. what he's seeing on the screen? I think it was just that they had to reuse the footage. But if you want to get really fancy with it, it could be that he is the only one that's seeing the Santa movie sequence and everybody else is watching you know perhaps it's just like a criminal that has you know robbed a convenience store and is getting in the car etc but he's Ooh. seeing it as santa as the santa he can only see bad dudes as Santa. like yeah it, it just like colors the way that he can see yeah. bad guys yeah interesting so maybe like anytime he sees red it's like santa yeah maybe weird that's an interesting take on it I didn't even think about it that hard. I was just thinking about the polo shirt that he was wearing. I, I mean, the yeah, that polo shirt was that polo shirt gave me Catholic school flashbacks is what oh, it did. <laughs> did you guys have to wear polos? Mm-hmm. Um, polos or button downs. Yep. Yikes. Mm-hmm. I cannot wear polo shirts to this day. I mean, who can really? Mm, who can truly, pull off a polo? Truly. Yeah. Ricky can because he's been working out in the gym every day since he was born. Yeah. That's the only way. Yeah. When I think of polo shirts, I think of the style when I was in high school where you would buy them from Hollister and they would have this stupid Mm -hmm. little bird on them. And I remember it so clearly. There was this guy who I was in the gifted program with when I was in elementary school, but he skipped a grade. So he thought he was like super hot shit. And he used to wear like two or three polos layered with all three collars popped. Oh, wow. That's, that's special. Yeah. That is, uh, wow. Yep. His name's Travis. I can a thousand percent guarantee he's not listening to this, so (laughs) I don't mind naming, naming names. His first name is none. Yeah. There are plenty of guys named Travis that pop their collars. (laughs) Yes, I am positive that that is the case, but yeah, he was, he was a bit of a bit of a tool yeah sounds like it i really feel like the number of popped collars on your shirt increases your tool baggery yeah uh exponentially yeah one popped collar tool bag two pop collars tool bag to the nth degree yeah the limit does not exist yeah if it's three that's out of this world yeah it's off the charts cannot be measured By any standard tool that we have today. (laughs) 
It is just not possible. Defies science. It does defy science. Who pops a polo collar? Yeah. I mean, I know they're out there. I mean, that's one of those things, like, we were not allowed to do that. I There were... There were definitely some dudes I went to school with that had that not been one of the 10,000 things we could have gotten in trouble for uniform-wise. They probably would have popped their collars. But popped collars, alas, were not allowed. The polos were actually relatively new when I got there. Used to be all button-downs. Yeah. It just reminds me of Superstar. It reminds me of golf, which I also don't like. (laughs) Did you have to play golf? No, but a lot of people at my school did. Actually, for my reunion, so I had a big reunion this past summer, which I did not attend, and one of the suggestions was a golf outing, and I was like, oh, hell no, but also, why am I not surprised that that was one of the suggestions? A golf outing. Yeah. Like, no, thank you. Would have been hot, too. Yeah. Golf, while, like, also, when you're hot, is terrible. Yeah. I like going to the driving range because it, there, it is a bit cathartic to, like, get a bucket of balls and just, like, whack at them mm-hmm. and not, like, have to worry about getting them anywhere close to the hole or any of that stuff. Yeah. But competitive golf, like, taking it at all seriously makes me want to throw the golf club yeah. into, like, yeah. water feature or whatever. I can handle mini golf and that's it. Mini golf? Fine. Yeah. Mini golf? Fun. Often... Ice cream is had after or before mini golf. Exactly. Mini golf, okay. Driving range, fine. Golf, golf? Yeah, no. No, No, thank you. Do you have $200 that you want to spend a Saturday where you have to tee off at 7.30 in the morning? Yeah, none of that interests me. To play a full 18 holes? Yeah. Drive around a golf course? Mm, Nah. There's no food. Yeah. There's no beer. Yeah, there aren't a lot of trees. There, no, there's no shade. Yeah, that's I'm, not fun to me. No, and it's hard. Golf is hard. Yeah, it seems really hard. Unless you, like, practice regularly, it's freaking hard. Yeah, and that's not something I want to spend any, you know, I, I would not want to practice either. See, bowling? Indoors. Yeah, yeah. Bowling is good. Bowling? Food. There's yeah. There's beer. There's nachos. There's bowling alley nachos are the best. Bowling alley nachos, yes. Yeah. So we did that. That was a movie with, that we saw. Silent Night, Deadly Night Two. Will yeah. it get Will it get you in the Christmas spirit? No. Is it a true Christmas horror movie? Yes. Yes, it is. It Chris- is. Christmas is integral to the plot of the story. That's true. That's true. It is not simply an incidental event happening during the course of events. Correct. Correct. Were it not for Christmas. None of this would have happened. True. Yeah. I feel just as traumatized after as I did before. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. What are we doing next time? Next time, we are uh, getting ready to celebrate the new year by talking about our favorite films of 2022. Probably in no particular order, because who likes to rank things? We don't. We do not. No. No ranking. Yeah, please no. Yeah. But we'll tell you about the stuff we liked. Some of it we have covered. Some of it we have not covered. We'll give you a rundown. It'll be fun. Yay. Yay. Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com. We are Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok and Final Girls Pod on Twitter. 
Our theme music is by House Ghost and is available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode and rate and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Tonight.